Today's scripture reading will be coming from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Again, that's 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. I want to echo the sentiments that were given earlier in the announcements about uh, Ladies' Day and the fact that it was a success and um, give uh, a word of commendation and also thanksgiving to all of the members, ladies, everyone who was involved in helping that to be what it was. And uh, also, of course, I think would be um, remiss if we did not mention Uh, that we are thankful for those who are veterans and those who have served our country and sacrificed and done uh, so much so that uh, we can enjoy the life that we have here in the the United States. And so we want to also recognize you and your family as well. Now I want to ask you this morning, do you know anyone who complains? Now I'm asking the question that way because we all know that complaining is something that we don't do. Everyone else does it. We all know that when someone else says negative, uh, something negative, they're complaining. But when we say something negative, it's constructive criticism or it's just me being realistic about how things ought to be. It reminds me of the deacon in charge of the air conditioner. Not our deacon in charge of the air conditioner. What's wrong with you people? (laughs) No, you know, the one about the deacon in charge of the air conditioner. Here's what happened. One of the ladies came up to this deacon before services, and she said, listen, it's very cold in this building, and I'm bundled up, and I don't have enough blankets to keep me warm, and so I want you to go, and I I want you to adjust the thermostat because it shouldn't be so cold in here. And then right after her, here comes... A guy, and he says, listen, man, it's hot in here. It wasn't me. It's hot in here. And uh, it's ridiculous for it to be this. Go change the thermostat because it shouldn't be this hot in here when we worship God. And he said, okay. So everybody sat down, and the worship service started, and the deacon made a show of getting up and walking slowly over to the thermostat so that everybody could see that he was doing it. And he opened the the. It's locked. So he opened the little case and uh, put his finger on the thermostat and played with it a little bit. And then he went and sat back down. And after the services were over, the lady came up to him and said, thank you so much for adjusting the thermostat. It was just right in here and I wasn't cold. And then the man came up and said, thank you so much for adjusting the thermostat. It was just right in here. I wasn't hot. He didn't actually change the thermostat. He just pretended like he was doing it. But you know, Complaining, complaining is something that 
Usually, we think everybody else does but us, but when we're honest with ourselves, I think we would all admit that we complain far too, far more often than what we should. And that applies to everyone, myself included. We also need to recognize that the Bible says a lot about complaining. That God takes complaining very seriously. And that it's something that we ought to take seriously as well. But this sermon is not a sermon about complaining, per se. This sermon or lesson is a lesson that is designed to remind us that we have every reason not to do it. I want you to look with me in 1 Peter chapter 1, if your Bible's not there already. And I want us to just quickly be reminded about some things we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. Remember in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, that Peter describes our promise. The Christian's promise, if you will, where Peter talks about our hope of heaven. The fact that we realistically, right, we realistically understand that uh, there is something beyond this life that is greater than what we see. We have salvation. We have a hope of heaven. And then remember in verses 6 to 9, he talks about our challenge. And our challenge is trial and difficulty. And Peter wants us to understand, God wants us to understand, that however great our challenges might be, our hope is far greater. And our hope far surpasses the challenges, and our hope sustains us and helps us through the challenges. But now this morning we're in verse 10 through 12, where Peter talks about our privilege. Our salvation, the hope we have of heaven, the privilege that we have to wear the name Christian. That's what Peter's talking about in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12. And what he wants us to understand is that this privilege that we have as Christians is the result of the eternal plan of God that was carried out through his servants revealed by the prophets, and is now a reality for each and every one of us to enjoy. Let's look at it, and then we'll make some application. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 10, Peter talks about the prophet's search. The prophet's search. He says, of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully. What was it exactly that they were searching or that they were inquiring? What were they looking carefully for? Well, he'll tell us that as well. But I want you to notice with me that when Peter uses these words or he uses this phrase about the prophets inquiring and searching carefully, he's using some words that are indicative of a diligent search. Now, this isn't some sort of a casual, we'll look real quick for it kind of a thing. This is a diligent, ongoing, turning, ev turning over every stone kind of search. And it is also, the wording here also indicates considerable effort. So they worked hard. They put some emphasis into it. They expended their energy. They're searching diligently with considerable effort. What are they searching for? Peter says, here's what they're searching for. They're searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand. In other words, as the prophets wrote, as the prophets spoke, as the prophets did their work on behalf of God, they were trying to understand what exactly it was that God had them doing. 
Now, certainly they knew what the words were that were coming out of their mouth and coming from their pen. We're not saying that. But what they didn't have is they didn't have a full understanding. They didn't have a complete understanding of what all it meant. They wanted to know how, and they wanted to know when, and they wanted to know what it would look like. And that's what Peter is talking about when he talks about the prophet's search and how they were searching to understand what manner of time, how, and when, and what's it going to look like. That's what they wanted to know. You go back in your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, and you can see a great illustration of this. By the way, I would put a bookmark in Hebrews 11 if I were you, because we'll We'll look at this chapter several times this morning. Hebrews chapter 11, as the Hebrews writer talks about these great men and women of faith, the prophets, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, are included here. He begins by talking first about Abraham. And do you notice something interesting about what's said about Abraham in verse number 8? By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing He went out not knowing where he was going. That's talking about Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Remember where God tells us, uh, the Bible tells us that God had spoke to Abraham and God had said, I want you to leave your homeland. I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees. And I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And if you'll do this, then I'm going to bless you and I'm going to bless your seed. And I'm going to bless all people through you and through your seed. The Hebrews writer giving us a divine commentary, says, listen, when God told Abraham, I want you to go, Abraham believed and Abraham obeyed, but Abraham didn't know how all this was going to turn out. Abraham didn't know, well, why are you wanting me to go here instead of there? And why now instead of then? And he didn't understand all the specifics and the logistics of the question. Look at verse number 13, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13. As the Hebrews writer draws one section of this chapter to summary, he says, these all died in faith. What does he say about them? Not having received the promises. But what? But they saw them afar off, and they were assured of them, and they embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and all of these others that the Hebrews writer will talk about, that we read about in the Old Testament. What does God want us to know about them? Well, God wants us to know that they didn't understand everything. They didn't have all the answers, but they embraced them. Abraham uh, trusted God to raise his son Isaac, according to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19, even though Abraham had never seen a resurrection, as far as we see recorded in God's word anyway. Moses was obedient to God. He forsook the riches in Egypt and counted the reproaches of Christ a, a good thing, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23 to 29. But Moses didn't understand, every, he didn't know the future. Moses didn't understand everything about why God was having him do what he was having to do. But he trusted God and he obeyed God. He was faithful to God and he did God's work. So when Peter talks about the prophet's search... This is what he has in mind. This is, he, this is what he is calling to our minds. And what God wants us to think about is all of the prophets and, by extension, these great men and women of faith that we read about in the Old Testament who obeyed God and who worked in the service of God. And even though they didn't have all the answers, they were glad to do it. And as we'll find later in this section, we benefit from their faithfulness. That's the prophet's search. What about the prophet's message? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and notice verse uh, 11 again. What's the prophet's message? They were searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them did, did signify 
or was indicating rather, when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. The suffer- what's Revelation 19 and verse number 10 has an interesting thing to say about prophecy. Have you ever wondered about prophecy, what prophecy is all about? What about the Old Testament? Have you ever wondered what's the Old Testament all about? Revelation 19.10 is a good passage to write down along that line. Revelation 19.10 says that the, spirit, uh, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The very heartbeat, if you will, as we apply this to the Old Testament, of Old Testament prophecy, the very purpose, the very core of it was pointing toward Christ and the work that he would do. Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 25 through 27, as he spoke about himself and as he spoke about the Old Testament, he says, um, uh, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe uh, in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then the Bible says, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in the scriptures all things that were written about himself. Jesus said in John 5 and verse number 39, Search the scriptures, for it's in them you think, they have li- you, think you have life, and they are that which testifies of me. Which scriptures was he talking about? What body of scripture is he talking about that he says it testifies of me? Well, he's talking about the Old Testament scripture. He's talking about the Old Testament. Let me ask you a question. What is it exactly that the Old Testament scriptures tell us about Christ? Peter generalizes by inspiration in 1 Peter 1 and verse number 11 when he talks about the sufferings of Christ and the glories that should follow. But the Old Testament has a whole lot more to say about Christ and his work than just his suffering and the glories that should follow. What does it say? Would you just turn with me for a few minutes to the Old Testament and let's look at a couple of things. How about starting in the book of Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 where it all begins In fact, there are three verses that basically could summarize the book of Genesis, and Genesis 3.15 is one of them. The second is Genesis 22.18, and the third is Genesis 49.10. In Genesis 3, verse 15, you remember the situation here. God creates man, he places him in the garden, and he says, Listen, of every tree you can eat except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gave them a command, and he expected them to follow it, but they didn't. And so in Genesis chapter 3, we have this confrontation between God and man and between the serpent. And before Genesis 3 verse 15, man existed after sin in a state of hopelessness and helplessness. Because as far as man knows, God hasn't revealed anything yet about how he intends to deal with the problem that man has created by violating his will and by sinning and therefore separating himself from God. But everything changes in Genesis 3.15. Because it's in this passage that God says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise your head and you'll bruise his heel. What was God talking about? He's talking about the Messiah. It's the first messianic prophecy as we know so well. And from this point on throughout the rest of the Old Testament, this is like the starting gun. And now the race is on, and as we travel from Genesis 3.15, and we leave the garden, and we work our way all the way into the end of the Old Testament, really the beginning of the New Testament, we begin to see how God is going to bring what he says in Genesis 3.15 to fruition. How it's going to become a reality. In Genesis 22 and verse number 18, God is speaking to Abraham again, you remember, and he has something to say to Abraham in Genesis 22 and verse 18. It's connected to Genesis 3.15. 
In your seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you've obeyed my voice. You can actually work through your, your way through Genesis by looking at process of elimination. God tells us in Genesis 3 verse 15, it's going to be the seed of woman. Well, what, what woman? Well, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 22, God says it's going to be a woman who's going to come from the seed of Abraham. And then in Genesis chapter 49 verse number 10, he uh, even, uh, he even uh, specifies further. Because in Genesis 49.10, we have a prophecy from Jacob who speaks uh, about Judah, his son. And he says, listen, the, shep- the scepter will not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Jesus is going to come as a result of Genesis 3.15, the seed of woman. She's going to be of Abraham's lineage, Genesis twenty-two eighteen, and even more specific, it's going to be of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49 and verse number 10. But the Bible has so much more to say about Jesus and about his work. In fact, there are over 300 prophecies of the Messiah in the Old Testament, prophecies that tell us about where he's going to be born, Micah chapter 5 and verse number 2. There are prophecies that tell us about the fact that he'll be born of a virgin, Isaiah 7 and verse 14. There's prophecy about his forerunner, John the baptizer, Malachi 3 and verse number 1. There's prophecy about his character and about his ministry and about his death, Isaiah chapter 53. There's prophecy about his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, Zechariah 9 and verse number 9. About his crucifixion, Psalm 22. About his resurrection, Psalm 16 and verse number 10. Look with me in your New Testaments at Luke chapter 4 for a moment. And I want you to see with me what Jesus says about himself in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 to 20. It's the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And in this section of Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up in his own hometown. He begins to read from Isaiah uh, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And listen, everyone in that assembly would have been familiar with those three verses of prophecy. But what would have surprised them is in verse number 21 when Jesus says, that's me. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears, Luke chapter 4 and verse number 21. What did Jesus want the people to understand about Isaiah 61 and about Isaiah and Jeremiah and the whole of Old Testament prophecy? What he wanted them and what he wants us to understand is that they were talking about him. He was born just as the Old Testament said he would, the prophets said that he would be. He lived and worked and died and resurrected and ascended into heaven just as the prophet said he would. He established his kingdom just as the prophet said he would. He did everything that the Old Testament prophet said he was coming to do. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's what the Old Testament is all about. So we have the prophet's search. They want to know the time. They want to know the specifics They want to know the how, and they want to know the when, and they want to know what it's going to look like. They didn't see it. But their ministry, or their message rather, Jesus is coming. The king is coming. He's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to die so that all might live. They saw Christ coming. But look at verse number 12. 
What about the beneficiaries of their work? Look at the prophet's ministry. Here's where the conclusion, at least to me, is quite remarkable. Peter says about the prophets in verse number 12, to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which have now been reported to you. Uh, Through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit and from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Peter, what are you telling me? Well, here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that the Old Testament prophets... I'm telling you that people like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I'm telling you that people like uh, Joshua and Moses, I'm telling you that those like Jeremiah and uh, so many others who lived and who died, who by faith served God, who spoke for God, who worked for God, who suffered for God, I'm telling you that all of the things, all of the service that those individuals put forth in the service of our God, that they could not see and didn't see the end result result of all of that. But you do. I do. We do. We're all the beneficiaries of their faithfulness. Look at Hebrews chapter 11 again and look at how the Hebrews writer points this out in the last two verses of the chapter. Hebrews 11 verse 39, after the Hebrews writer beginning in verse, oh about verse number 32, begins to list a bunch of people and all kinds of things that they dealt with, how they Uh, through faith, subdued kingdoms, and worked righteousness, and obtained promises, and so on. How they escaped the edge of the sword. How they were tried with mockings and scourgings, and how they were imprisoned, and how they were sawn asunder, and all of these other things. He says in verse number 39, And these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart us. In the Bible, we read about God's eternal plan. His eternal plan was to reconcile mankind to himself through Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 19. In the book of Ephesians, we read about God's eternal purpose in Ephesians 3 verses 9 to 11. And in chapter 2 verses 15 through 17, we read about how God from eternity had in his mind this plan in which his son was going to come into the world, die on the cross, so that he might establish his body. And in that body, all people, Jew and Gentile, are united in one, as one, having been forgiven of their sins and reconciled or reunited back to God through the blood of Jesus. Jesus Christ that was shed on the cross of Calvary. And it is this plan that God revealed a little bit at a time through the prophets. It's what we read about in the Old Testament, beginning in Genesis 3 and verse number 15, all the way until the coming of the Messiah and his work and his death on the cross. Galatians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, uh, just by way of example, the Apostle Paul looks back to uh, Rome, uh, excuse me, Genesis chapter uh, tw- uh, 12, verses 1 through 3, and he says, listen, uh, the Spirit, knowing that God was going to justify the Gentiles through faith, preached the gospel unto Abraham. What? That means when I go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and following, and I start reading all about Abraham, what I need to keep in mind is ultimately the death of Christ on the cross, the establishment of the church of Jesus Christ, and the fact that all people have the ability to, the opportunity to be members of that body. That's what God had in mind when he said to Abraham, I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees and go to a land that I'm going to show you. 
Romans 16, verse 25 and 26, Paul says, Now to him that is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest and by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith. Notice the language that is used in those two verses. The mystery of God, that's the plan that we're talking about. It's kept secret since the world began. That means it was hidden away in the mind of God. We couldn't know it until God revealed it. But now it's made manifest. That means now we know because God has revealed it by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations. That means we read about it in the pages of God's word and it's for obedience to the faith. That means God did all of that so that humanity can read this book, can read the Bible, and can have their hearts pricked by the words that are in the, by the words of scripture and can be obedient so that they can, so that they can be beneficiaries of the work and the plan of God. Now, turning back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, what we need to keep in mind about these three verses is that they are designed to build within Christians a sense of appreciation. Galatians 4 and verse 4 says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus was born, he grew, he began to preach and teach and to carry out God's work, and he died on the cross so that we might live. He died on the cross in order to purchase our redemption. But God also wants us to understand that none of that happened by some divine impulsive decision. God didn't get bored one day and decide that he was going to send Jesus into the world to die on the cross. That's not how it worked. The Bible tells us that this is something that was hidden in the mind of God from eternity. The Bible tells us that when we read about Abraham and Isaac and Moses and Sarah and Rahab and Joshua and Samuel and so many others, when we read and we think about in the book of Daniel, for example, Babylon and Greece and Rome and all of the things that they contributed to society, to the world and contributing to the fullness of time in Galatians 4 and verse 4, all of those things ought to come to our mind. All of those things represent God's eternal purpose being carried out. That which God had in his mind from eternity to save man so that we could be with him forever. That plan revealed a little bit at a time. That plan unfolding throughout the pages of scripture and human history. By Jesus, yes. But also by Abraham and so many others. And so as we think about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, it's very similar, I think, to what we're going to be doing, what we're going to be doing tomorrow. As we think about, we reflect on Veterans Day, don't we? Because we're thankful for those who have served and continue to serve and everything that they've done to preserve our freedoms. We reflect upon that. And we reflect for the purpose of giving thanks. 1 Peter 1 verse 10 to 12 is designed to cause us, every time we read it, to think about the entirety of what happens and unfolds in God's word so that we can be thankful. So that we can be mindful 
of what God has done in order to give us the opportunity to have that hope, 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5, that carries us through the difficulties, 1 Peter 1, verses 6 to 9, with thanksgiving, 1 Peter 1, verses 10 to 12. So do you know anybody that complains? Or do you complain? Yes. Do I complain? Yes. We all complain more than we should. But um, might I suggest the next time we find ourselves wanting to complain, thinking about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 to 12, and thinking about Hebrews chapter 11, and thinking about all of those faithful men and women who have gone on before, who obeyed God, and um, the fact that we're beneficiaries of their obedience and their suffering, thinking about the plan that existed in the mind of God and which was revealed and brought to fruition because of his love and his grace and his mercy and his power, thinking about the sacrifice of his son on the cross and everything that he endured so that we might live. It's our privilege to be called Christians, and for that we should be eternally grateful. I'm going to offer the Lord's invitation this morning, and it may be that there's someone here who is not a Christian someone who has not answered the gospel's call to be immersed in water, forgiven of your sins, and added to the body of Jesus Christ. Are you ready to make that commitment this morning? The Bible says that God's desire is that all people come to him uh, in obedience. The Bible says that if we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 3 and verse 16, if we're willing to repent of our sins, Acts 3 and 19, confess our faith, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10, and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of our sins, Acts 2 and verse 38, that God will add us to the church, Acts 2, verse 47. We become beneficiaries of, of God's eternal plan and the work of Jesus and all of those faithful men and women of the past. Are you a Christian this morning? Do you find yourself constantly in a mire of unthankfulness, complaining, an inability to reflect on all of the good things that God has provided. If we can help you, pray for you, encourage you, whatever your need might be, come forward.